Welcome back to the Commission Podcast. My name is Adam and I'm here with Sam Gibb. Hey, Sam. Hey, Adam. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. And welcome back to our series on church planning here in London. On this episode, we have Jason Roach from London City Mission. Jason, great guy. Yeah, Jason is the head of ministries at London City Mission. He planted Bridge Church Battersea um, a good few years ago, is now one of the elders there, but has handed that church um, over to a, to another younger guy who's the who's the pastor now. Um, Jason, we'll, we'll chat with Jason about a bunch of stuff. He's written some things on uh, race and ethnicity, which is really helpful to, uh, to be thinking through in our context here in London. Um, so Church Planter works for an um, evangelistic mission agency at London City Mission. Um, so yeah, looking forward to getting stuck into a conversation with him. Amazing. Yeah. Well, let's get right into it. I hope you enjoy. I'm here with Jason Roach, the Director of Ministries at London City Mission. We're here in Naismith House, which is the head office, headquarters of London City Mission. Um, welcome, Jason. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Really nice to have you here. So Naismith House, central London. So we might hear some sirens, some noise. We're in the hub. We're in the middle of London. Very unusual if we didn't. <laughs> we're, um, we're here to chat to you about your ministry here with London City Mission, to chat to you about church planting and a whole bunch of other stuff. Tell us, as we kick off, it'd be great to know a little bit about you, a little bit about what you do, what your role is at London City Mission. Okay, yeah. So my name is Jason. As, you, as you've said, I'm Director of Ministries here. And I guess the, the vision of London City Mission is that every Londoner would be personally invited to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which is a pretty big vision. I guess our part in that, as we see it, is to come alongside local churches in London and to help them to reach out to those people who are most likely to miss out on hearing it. It turns out that 50% of people in London don't have a Christian friend. That's not that they don't like Christianity. They just don't know anyone who could even remotely tell them about Christianity. And most people who do go to church have got a university degree, which means that those 50% of people are likely to be people who are more on the margins potentially than others. And so we particularly want to help churches to reach out to those. Sometimes they're people who are very old, sometimes very young. Uh, people who live on council estates, people who are displaced from other areas, people who are homeless, uh, that sort of thing. People who maybe worship an explicitly other religion like Islam or, or something else. And so my role within that is um, we've got about 100 missionaries and to coach them, uh, to think about where they should go, where we should place them in London, and uh, generally to kind of look after them. I guess that's that's my role. And hopefully as much as I can get out alongside them doing ministry with them, which I love to do when I can. Amazing. One of, one of the things that I love about London City Mission is it has been here for so long. Yeah, so it has, it um, 1835 was yeah. when London City Mission was set up and uh, years and years of ministry, which means all over London, there's been London City Missionaries going into those areas. Yes. And yes. Must, I guess must be wonderful to, to be part of that, that history. Yeah, 100%. And even personally, as a church planter myself, uh, to be a beneficiary of that. So I will come to this later, I'm sure, you know, planted a church over in Battersea and you're visiting people who live locally and they're saying, oh yeah, London City Mission, the kids clubs that happened here that my kids were involved in and just the prayer, the evangelism, the work that's gone over decades mm. that, that people all over London are benefiting from, churches are benefiting from as we seek to start new churches. Amazing. 
And Jason, as part of the role, um, you've started doing a, a podcast re- recently. It doesn't count as Christian ministry unless you <laughs> podcast it. Um, well, tell us a little about the podcast. What's the purpose of that? Who's that for? Uh, would our guys who are listening to this benefit from listening to that? Oh, well, I think they absolutely would. I mean, <laughs> perhaps you expect me to say that. But, um, we, you know, we did, we did a survey with Comres. We asked a thousand practicing Christians uh, what they thought about evangelism. And we found some amazing results. So 90% of Practicing Christians are saying evangelism is really important, unsurprising. Uh, about 80% of those, so four out of five, are saying that they feel confident to share their faith. But something like three quarters of them wish that they would talk more about Jesus than they actually do. Now, what is going on there? So most people, 90% saying evangelism is really important, 80% saying, you know, I feel confident to do it, but actually I wish I did it more. So we're trying to dig into why this gap between what people want to do and what they actually do. And what we found from that survey was that where people feel that there's a difference between them and the people they're trying to speak to, and I guess that goes from, okay, this is my family, and then a little bit further away, these are my work colleagues, and a little bit further away, hold on, these are people who feel really quite different from me, suddenly their confidence drops. And so how can we help people to share their faith with people who are are often on their doorstep. And it's really trying to help people think, if I can take one step of faith with one individual, then maybe I could make a massive difference in London. I think we really can. So that's what the podcast's about. And, you know, the other day I was uh, visiting a missionary up in North London and I came out of the train station and just outside the train station was a, a homeless person. And walked past them as we often do in London, right? And the Lord just did something in my heart in that moment. And I, I turned back and I said, hi, what's your name? And uh, he, he told me his name and said, oh, you know, I haven't even, haven't even got enough to be able to get a cup of coffee today. And I said, oh, I can do that. There's something I can do there. I can go and get you a coffee. Uh, and I said, oh, I'd already forgotten his name. What's your name? And he said, oh, my name's David, like in the Bible. And suddenly all, all I'd done was slow down, stop, and asked this guy his name. Mm. And in doing that, the Lord had opened up this opportunity for us to talk about spiritual things. And I was able to share the gospel with him. Goodness knows what put that on his heart to say at that moment. And I guess we're wanting to try and help people to take one step, to do one small thing that might open up all kinds of opportunities for the gospel. So that's what it's about. And I hope people are encouraged as they hear lots of stories of that sort of thing, small steps that could make a difference. And on that, you've got different missionaries who are who are serving across London, yeah. um, interviewing them, yeah. guys who kind of are just in the middle of it. And then also members of churches. So one that I listened to, there was members of, of a church that was being served by London City Mission talking about their experience of, of missionaries and how it had helped them practically in, in the church. That, that That's the sort of thing that's, exactly, that's going on. Exactly. So just different people coming from different walks of life with different experience, able to share something of the things that have helped them take those small steps. I think when, when I listened to one of the episodes, one of the things that, that I was so thankful for was my experience of London City Mission, which I've planted a church in partnership with London City Mission and lots of the co-mission guys will know London City Mission. Um, one of my experiences was there's so much gold within these guys and yet having access to you know the likes of someone like Shane, who I'm able to see yeah, you know, yeah. regularly, um, you know, other guys who've got particular expertise in um, reaching Muslims and stuff. Yeah. They're limited that, you know, they're only able to be in one space at one time. And the podcast enables a whole bunch of people, just ordinary Christians 
getting on with, with ministry, just getting on with ordinary life to have access to just guys who have spent their, you know, their day yeah. in their day out kind of training for this, getting people kind of excited about, about the gospel, getting people excited about estate ministry or reaching Muslims or whatever it is. And you can just put the podcast on, listen to them and get that little bit, that little nugget of gold. So I recommend, massively recommend it. Um, it's called, it's called everyday evangelism. Wonderful. From the ground, what we're hearing is that people are often even further back in their confidence at wanting to share the gospel, even with their mates, let alone yeah. with people who are from uh, you know, different backgrounds. So we're wanting to start way back and just saying, look, guys, this is worth doing. You can do it. And here are some simple ways to do it. So I hope that it will be an encouragement to everyone. We're still learning. So we'd love to know how we can do it better. So thanks for encouraging people no, to listen to right. it. So stop listening to this podcast right now and listen to that one instead. <laughs> or continue listening to this one because um, we're going to have more from Jason. I'd love to dig into a little bit of kind of you yourself, kind of your story or yeah. your background. Tell us a little bit about kind of growing up and how you came to, came to faith. It'd be great to hear. Yeah, thank you. I'm a Londoner through and through pretty much. My earliest memories, I was born in a hospital in Carshalton down in uh, near Morden, so Surrey. And I've always lived there, there or thereabouts in London, uh, studied in London. You can't see my face, but I'm black. My parents were both from Barbados, uh, came over here as teenagers, met over here. So that's kind of my heritage and background and went over first when I was about 12 years old to Barbados. And it was wonderful. I remember, I remember actually thinking on the plane on the way to Barbados, how is this plane going to land? Because it's just going to be sand. I mean, they're not going to have any uh, runways. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Uh, and I think it's just a, a real reminder to me about how easy it is to have stereotypes. Mm. Here I am, someone whose parents were both from this island with brown skin. And yet I, I just never experienced something and therefore I had this stereotype. So it's, it's not even about the color of your skin or anything like that. Just we, we inhabit a certain world and we, you know, we can't help but have certain opinions and so on. And it's great to have them challenged. And I was grateful that that exposure did challenge me. But anyway, my dad was a consultant psychologist. And so I kind of had that sort of medical background and became, went to medical school. And my first year of my first term of medical school, there was some real tragedy that happened in our, in our medical school. And a friend of mine called Toby, uh, he had been helping us with a project at a GP surgery. We'd come back to, to guys where I was studying medicine and we'd realized that we'd, we'd, we were supposed to drop some things off at the GP surgery that we had still had with, them, with us as we'd arrived at the, the campus. And so he volunteered to cycle back over to Clapham to uh, take that project work back. And um, on his way back, long story short, the, the handlebars on his bike came loose and he was knocked over by a lorry and crushed and killed, uh, which of course was a massive, massive tragedy. We all went up to the funeral, which is up in Bristol. And um, I remember even to this day, the moment when I saw his father and said to him, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. And he said to me, tears streaming down his face. Thank you for saying that, but I want you to know I'm going to see my son again. And, you know, I realized at that point that I just knew nothing of this faith that he was speaking of. And lo and behold, it turned out that there were lots of people around me who had been praying for me, sort of students in my tutorial group and around who'd been praying for me. And eventually they got me along to, to see you, to hear something about Jesus. And that was the start of a of a longer story, but I'm really, really grateful for that 
that man's testimony in the midst of struggle, it would have been easy for him just to say thank you. Yeah. And yet he, he said that one extra line mm. that was a way that God changed my whole life. And he said it because it was true. Absolutely. But also I imagine he knows that it's a truth that people who don't know Jesus needed to hear and you needed to, yeah. you needed to hear. So it's, it's a comfort for him. It's a truth for him, but it's an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity for him to say in this tragedy, there is hope. And what, what a precious thing. And so that was, that was you coming to faith. How then did you, did you move from being a doctor? Is that, is yeah, that right? That's right. Yeah. What, what kind of doctor? I don't know much well, about I this was, stuff. I was a junior doctor. A so junior doctor. Do, yeah. I was okay. working in hospitals. So junior doctor, you move from being a junior doctor and you end up studying theology and then church planting. What, what yeah. on earth happened? You know, why that, why that shift? Why that change? Well, you know, I, I was a, uh, I was a new Christian. I, I desperately wanted to know Jesus better. I found myself just, I'd be hearing sermons and just weeping, thinking people need to know this. And I just thought to myself, look, if I don't, I knew that my career path was a ladder. And once I got on, it was going to be very hard to get off. And so I thought, look, hey, maybe I should just get off now while it feels slightly easier, while I don't have other commitments and just take some time to kind of serve at a church uh, a bit more. So I did what we'd now call a ministry trainee scheme. And, um, you know, I was just so great. I just talked to my pastor and said, look, uh, this is what I'm thinking. He said, look, why don't you consider this? Ended up doing a ministry trainee scheme and absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. I did a year thinking I'd go back, but after a year, I thought you, you want to do two years to really get your teeth stuck into this. And then found that I loved doing that sort of ministry and I loved medicine as well, but actually, um, less people were sharing Jesus full time in that kind of way than were being doctors. And uh, it was Christmas about the time that we happened to be filming this. It was Christmas and I went to a carol service. There are over a thousand people there and the gospel wasn't shared. And I just thought, you know what? I don't have to be John Stott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just need I, to tell I, people I, about I, Jesus. Yeah. That's the, that's the bare minimum. So that was, that was the yeah. moment it clicked for me. I thought I, I can do this. I can do this. I may never be John Stott, but I think I can do this. And so that was the, the start of a, a longer story. And then, and then, yeah, went into to ministry, went to college. And in my first year of college, helped a really good friend of mine called Andy Mason, who someone will know on this podcast, yeah. I'm sure, with a church planted at St. John's Chelsea, which is an estate church. And yeah, wonderfully just got a real bug for how precious it is planting churches on estates. And so that's where I got the bug for what I then went on to do was just plant a church on an estate not too far from uh, St. John's in Chelsea in Battersea. So tell us about Battersea then. So where did the, the kind of the plan to plant um, Bridge Church Battersea is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's called. So where did that come from? What did that involve? How yeah. did you, how did you get involved in that? I, I guess in one sense, part of the way that church planting happened at that point was opportunities rather than specific strategy. I'll be honest about that, that an opportunity came up. We had a very close relationship even back then with London City Mission. So we being co-mission, yep. of which I was a part of a member church. And how many, just just to give people an idea of co-mission back then, because people will know co-mission. So some of the guys here will yeah. be co-mission churches listening in. Co-mission will prob- would probably look very different now than it did, did then, sort of what we're talking 13 years ago. Less yeah. than that. <laughs> 
<laughs> it, let's say it was, it was a while ago. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it was long enough that we were sitting around a table, not too much bigger than this, which is about, what would you say? Three meters in yep. length. Yep. And all of the ministry trainees across all of the churches were sitting around the table. Yeah. And, and not sitting on each other's laps. Not sitting they on was, each they other's laps. And then someone at the front was saying, I've got an idea. What if we came up with something called co-mission and just Amazing. wrote it on the board? So, so that was co-mission at that, that point. That it, was it. That was, was it. it. Yeah, absolutely. How exciting. That's amazing. It I, was. Lo I love that. It was. So, so how did, how did Battersea come about? How did Bridge Church come, come about out of that little yeah. bubble of guys? So, so London City Mission have historically had a number of buildings that they used for mission, mission halls, they used to call them. They weren't churches, but they were bases for evangelism. And they had one of these in Battersea. And over time, the particular missionary who's based there had become less able, just because of physical things beyond his control, to be very active there. So there was this building that was uh, available and with a long history of mission going on. And the, the CEO of LCM at the time, John Nichols, was, was really having conversations with co-mission to say, look, hey, we've got these buildings and we want to... Uh, not lose the Christian witness that's gone on for a long time here. But what we realize, what we've realized is that what we really need is for churches to be here because it's all very well us doing evangelism, but we're reaching people and we're finding that often there aren't the kinds of churches where they would feel welcomed into or churches that are close enough because we're working in particular areas where often there aren't churches where they, they would be comfortable, they would be able to get to. And so we, there was a sort of meeting of minds and, and sort of partnership there. And so I was brought in, I met John and uh, we decided let's have a go at just starting a church here. It was kind of parachute, a, a parachute plant. So it was myself, my wife, and about four or five other people who moved to Battersea to seek to make Christ known and be a little community there on the estate. And who are those four or five other people? So like they move locations. Who who on earth is thinking, I'll be part of this, this guy who's just kind of arrived. I don't know anything about him. I don't know anything about the, the, the kind of context and culture. Who are those guys who decide to to join? Like how, and how on earth did you did you get them to, to come? Oh, the spirit of God, the spirit <laughs> of God. I mean, one of those guys was someone called Chris and Lucy Conn, who are now, is now a, a vicar somewhere in, uh, towards Maidstone. And, um, and they were people who I'd never met. Yep. And, uh, Richard, who was pastor at Dundonald at the time, uh, just said, look, these guys would be really good. So he hoodwinked those guys into coming. So I had nothing to do with that. And were they living but in Rains Park near Dundonald? They were living there. But they, they were willing moved, to move yeah, into Battersea onto this estate. Yeah. So praise God Amazing. for them. Another, uh, one, another one of those guys was a guy called Zim Akoli, yeah. who's now a pastor. Uh, he's now at Oak Hill, still studying, yeah. but was planted a church in Catford. And now I kind of knew him and I, I, I think it was just, we were at the same church, Christchurch Mayfair at the time. And I said, look, here's what we're going to do. Let come and be part of it. And he, he, he came along. Another one was uh, Sarah uh, Milne, who was an architect again, uh, living in Clapham and thought, oh, I could, I could do this. I could come along and be involved. The two criteria were you have to be willing to move yep. and you have to be willing to speak to people who are not like you. And that was it. As long as you met those two criteria, uh, you could come. It was Incredible how many people said no, yeah, particularly to the second of those. Okay, but she came. She's now married to the new pastor. Tom. Oh, amazing! So <laughs> oh, great! Praise God. So anyway, the Lord, the Lord brought a whole number of people. But to be honest, Rachel and I spent, my wife spent six months 
just we said, look, we're going to take an evening just to pray about this for six months before we even started. And, you know, we saw the Lord over time answer uh, many prayers to, to, to bring people. Every year someone came to faith and that very much kept us going in a very small ministry that was, that was hard and difficult, but, but people coming to faith was a real joy. What were some of the other, the other joys of, of that time? <laughs> other than people coming to faith. Yeah. I, I think um, the thing about estates is that there is a real sense of community yeah. in a way that you don't always get in London or in cities generally. And that actually, Rachel and I found that really precious. We really love that. We love the fact that you can come out of your door and meet people uh, who are local, get into conversation. And we just love the community part of it. At the same time, it was easier to get into real meaningful relationships with people on the States because often there was just less baggage, less of a wall. Yeah. Uh, so you could be at the bus stop with someone within minutes, they told you their life story. And it was just whether, whether you wanted to whether, know or whether not. Whether you wanted yeah. to know or not, exactly. So we we just love the fact that there was a, a, a authenticity and an, and an ease of getting to know. Not always, but that that was mm-hmm. one of the patterns that you saw uh, on estates. And we also love the diversity. So so Rachel, my wife is white. I'm uh, black, and we just love the fact that it was it was a really diverse kind of area and diverse community with rich, poor, black, white, all kinds of different. Uh, people there. And that was just really attractive to us. So for all kinds of reasons, it was just a real joy to kind of be there. Interestingly, the Christians who came, I mentioned a few of them just now, on an estate church, you get a high level of commitment. So whereas in London, there's a whole, there's a massive level of churn, people coming and going. What we found actually on, 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 in our church was that people have been there for years, people have been there for a decade, unusual in London. Yeah. Because if you choose to come to a small church where there is nothing attractive about it at all, <laughs> and I'm the pastor, <laughs> it can only be God. And it can yeah. only be that you've got a high level of desire to kind of do this kind of ministry. And that's been a wonderful joy as well, just to work with people who are really passionate about reaching out with the gospel to people who are different from them. I think it's one of the things I've noticed, because the story of Bridge Battersea is very similar in lots of ways to the story yeah, of Hope, Hope Church Boxall, where where I'm the pastor. And, and one of the things that I remember lots of people saying in the run-up to planting was that people in London come in for a short amount of time and disappear off. Yeah. And yet there, there are churches and there are opportunities and there is a, a need as well for people to say, I'm going to be there and I'm going to stick it out and yeah. I'm going to stay and I'm going to love this community. And as well, what you were saying about the joy of just that local community feel that you yeah. get in an estate that you might not get elsewhere in London. Yeah. I remember lots of times when people would say to me, you know, well done, you're doing a great job, you know, planting on an estate. And I, and I can remember thinking, it's such a joy. Like, <laughs> I, I, like I genuinely wouldn't want to be doing anything else because it's like, it, it, there's, there's that almost that village mentality yeah. of um, everyone knows each other. You kind of, you know, you, you, you walk down the street, you say hello to a bunch of people. And I think what people have in their mindset is actually often very, very different or in, in their minds is actually very different to the reality, which is, there's, cha- there's massive challenges and we'll come to them in a minute. I'd love to ask you about some of the challenges, but there's so many joys of just being able to just do local ministry, love people, get to know people, yeah. be in people's lives through those, those hard times, those, those good times, you know, celebrate in, in new births, be at people's you know, bedsides when, when they're yeah. dying, those kind of yeah. things where you're able to do genuine real life for the long run with, with people. So yeah, yeah I, yeah, I, I get it. I really get it. One of the things I really loved that, I think gave me a bit of a bug 
for church planting and thinking was that Richard had started something called Prepared to Serve. This was years ago, back in uh, Christchurch Mayfair. And the idea was that if you were in the evening congregation, in the morning, you'd help another congregation locally. And it was just great because I was a fairly new Christian. And it was just that model of, you're not just here to receive, you're here to give. And, you know, there are other churches locally around who could really use your help. And it was a real blessing, actually. And some of the people who've come to the, the bridge in, in subsequent years have been people who've just come to just be a bum on a seat and be there for a time. And, and just that model of we're not just here in London to receive, but to give as well. And one of the ways you might do that is just by serving in small ways in another church. It's a real blessing. Lots of blessings. Lots of amazing things. Tell us the highs and the lows of stuff. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the really, really kind of uh, difficult things that you, that you kind of faced as you were going through church planting? Yeah, I think the explosive nature of people's lives meant that very often there were lots of needs that could feel overwhelming at times, mm. but also just even knowing where to start, you know, when you might be faced with someone calling you up, who's got bailiffs at the door, who, you know, has had lots of trauma in the past, who's struggling with alcohol addiction. And you're just wondering, you know, this is just one of 10 people on your kind of list sort of thing. So, so sometimes just the demands of ministry and knowing how to do the right next thing with people can feel pretty challenging. I want to just temper that with recognizing that I have a lot to learn from people who live on the States. And some of the things that you already said uh, about the culture and so on are really important. So I've got a lot to learn, but those are some of the things that, that were tricky. I think just the fact that we were are not a massive church, we're small, and coming to terms with the fact that Sometimes church planting looks like, as uh, Andy and others would say, Andy Mason and others would say, you're trying to plant oak trees. And so, you know, what, what you're planting, you may not see the fruit of for, for many, many years. It means it can be hard sometimes yeah. to keep doing when it, everything looks so small and so fragile. And working out what it then looks like to be church when there are so few of you and you're trying to often get lots of rotors going and that sort of thing can be a, a real, real challenge as well. But I think, I think one of the, the biggest ones has been a knife crime, mm. just having to endure the pain of, of people close to you or who you've known uh, being stabbed and killed is a tough one. And um, I'm grateful for people like Jason O'Shea, who works here, who actually shares his story, uh, the story of his mother-in-law who lost her son to knife crime. And, her daughter, who's now his wife, who share that story in order that young people might see the ripple effects of that crime in the lives of others and might begin to grapple with other ways that they might deal with anger and frustration and seek forgiveness instead. And that's, it's just been a joy to sort of see their ministry flourish as well. Operation Forgiveness, I can't remember if I said that, but yeah. I think the only other thing that I would, I would highlight was the challenge of different kinds of poverty. So I think of during COVID, for example, when I was trying to just take supplies and stuff to people, you'd be going up in an elevator and, you know, there'd be 30 people in the lift because there's only one working, the other one was broken and no one had masks on. And you're just like, you've got people with little babies there, you've got elderly people. And the very fact that people are in this tower block predisposes them to being at far greater risk. Yep. And that's what we saw st statistically, isn't it? That, yeah. that was what we're seeing. Yeah. Absolutely. 
and you, you just were up close and personal with the fact that the circumstances that people found themselves in meant that there were just these vast inequalities. Mm. And it really, you really saw that sometimes doing ministry that wanted to be Jesus-centered, Christ-focused also meant helping someone to work out how to get, get help with stuff because you just couldn't do one without the other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. As a church family in that kind of context, what did that look like and feel like in terms of the kind of unity and diversity, different people trying to kind of grapple with being church together, but, but potentially having a whole bunch of different views on things, experiences of life, um, kind of situation, whether that's kind of amount of money in bank account or culture or background or race or, I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you even do that yeah, as a church? How do you live in, in that way? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we're still trying to work yeah. that out. <laughs> if you've got the answer, then let me know. <laughs> oh, I'm coming but, to you. But there is something, isn't something beautiful about that. And I think when you read the New Testament letters, it seems like that this is what Paul was grappling with as well. And he wanted to say, look, let's keep the gospel central because that's the thing that's going to break down the dividing walls of hostility between us. And yet, because there's quite a lot more of Ephesians, clearly this is going to be hard and there are going to be challenges and we're going to have to bear with one another in love. So it can be, it definitely can be challenging. I think of when um, George Floyd was murdered and suddenly you had some people in the congregation for whom this was a massive traumatic thing and others for whom they're like, what, what's the big deal? And uh, that's just one small example. We've got, a, we've got a significant number of Chinese people in our congregation at the moment and their views on the Chinese church are quite different to the point that, you know, they'll be uncomfortable when some of them are praying, you know, and so you're having to navigate these things. But the way that we do that is just by trying to keep open channels of communication. And I think that's where I guess we're forced into having things as conversation points that maybe in other churches just don't, they don't get raised to the surface. And that's I guess one thing I'd encourage people to do, just have open communication, open ways of listening to one another. Uh, so you can actually hear what other people think. And, you know, we've all got blind spots. No culture is perfect. And so we both need to hear from others so that we can receive from them and be willing for our culture to be sharpened and changed as well, because no culture is going to be perfect. That's so helpful. Thanks, Jason. When I arrived today here in Naismith House, you were holding a book that you'd been reading. <laughs> Which interestingly was also the book that I brought in with me and I have with me here. So we've got the same book. You were reading it. Um, it's by this guy called Jason Roach and someone else called uh, Jessamine Birdsall. Perhaps it'd be good for, for us to kind of ch chat a little bit about um, yeah. this book. So you, so you wrote this book. You mentioned George Floyd. You wrote this yeah. in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. That's right. Yeah. Why did you write the book? What's the, what's the purpose of it? Why would it be worth people getting hold of and, and reading? And particularly, I'd love to think about this stuff in the context of kind of church, uh, church planting as well. Yeah. So we wrote the book because in the aftermath of George Floyd, that seemed to me that there was this outpouring of grief and horror and kind of wanting to do something but very quickly followed up by a kind of skepticism because suddenly there was all of this stuff around critical race theory and this is a really bad thing. And so I think it left a proportion of the Christian constituency thinking we don't quite know what to do with this. We're not sure we want to be on a bandwagon with some of the stuff that we're seeing in, in culture and the public eye, but we think we should care about this. And it was really just trying to speak into 
into that space, really. And therefore, it, it's both simply trying to say, look, what does the Bible actually say about ethnicity, culture, race? And how do we navigate these sort of cultural currents around critical race theory and so on? And just give people some practical tools in terms of steps that they could take to, to try and make a difference in, in this space. So that's what the book was about. Before coming to write the book, we did a kind of roundtable discussion on YouTube called One. So you can just visit it on YouTube. And in order to film that, I asked a whole number of people to be involved. And Jessamine was a name that was given to me. I didn't, I'd never met her. And so I said, Jessamine, will you be involved in this round table? And she said, no, I asked her several times, but in the process of me asking her and her saying, no, we became quite good friends. <laughs> and, <laughs> and although she didn't get on the video, we did agree that we'd write something together afterwards, which is how, how we met and how we got involved. We didn't actually meet physically until after we'd finished writing the book. So, um, yeah, it was great to finally meet her in the flesh uh, post-COVID. What do you think then, Jason, when you're, when you're thinking about the, the content of this book, what would be some of those big things that our listeners who are maybe involved in church planting, certainly involved in, in church ministry in some way as, as members of churches, what are some of the big things that they should be thinking about that maybe come out of this book? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> Sorry, bro. I think, um, I think one of the things would be that because there are these culture wars going on and uh, there's a lot of stuff that is being said that we wouldn't agree with because it comes from all kinds of different sort of ideological places, I think it can cause us to be fearful about stepping into talking about this sort of topic at all. And on an individual level, we can be nervous. Are we going to say the wrong thing? Are we going to mess up somehow? And I think just to remember, let's, let's allow faith to conquer our fear. And let's open up again the pages of scripture and see what God is saying about ethnicity. And so I think that applies whether you're a church planter, whether you're just a, a jobbing Christian like me uh, or whatever else. Actually open up scripture and see that God has um, something to say about ethnicity, namely that it's good and should be celebrated. And yet at the same time, it's not the main thing because Christ is the main thing. And if we could keep those kind of principles in view, I think that would help us go a long way. As church planters, I think we probably want to think about where we plant churches. We mentioned earlier stuff around the social implications of race. We didn't call it that, but we're talking about the fact that the reality is in certain parts of London, they're poorer. You'll often find people from poorer backgrounds and more ethnic minority or minority ethnic people in those areas. So there's a question about where we choose to plant our churches. That won't be relevant for everyone, but some have that job of thinking through that. Another thing would be how maybe if we are uh, in a home group somewhere in London, how do we know what our error is like and how we could pray for it? Because in whatever area God has put you in your home group, there will be all kinds of different people and we can't do everything. But could we pray maybe for a particular need amongst a particular group of people that God has put around us geographically? That'd be a, a wonderful thing to do. And who knows what impact that could make um, long-term on our communities that are around us. I mean, look, there are a few starters for 10. There's so much that, that I could say, but push me more if you'd, if you'd like. No, no, I, I think that's really helpful. And, and I want people to, to pick up the book and read it as well. So there's plenty there for us to get our teeth into and to reflect mm. on. But do, do pick up the book. And so it's called, I don't know whether I mentioned the title of it before. If I didn't, apologies, but it's called Healing the Divides. Um, Jason Roach and Jessamine Birdsall. 
and really worth worth picking up. Jason, thanks so much. It's been it's been really good. I mean, I, I would love to to dig in more to a whole bunch of things with you, but I guess it would be really good to um to be praying for you for your ministry. You're still at Bridge Battersea. Yes. You're one of the elders there. Yeah, uh, but a guy called Tom has taken oh. over as the as the pastor. He's a good guy. He is the most amazing guy and a wonderful, wonderful pastor. And it's been such a joy to just serve him and serve alongside him. Yeah, it's been a real joy. One of the privileges of being a pastor in the same church that you planted is that um, people get to see that ultimately it's about being a brother in Christ, not about a particular role. So I've been really blessed by that. And Tom has been really servant hearted and allowed me to be there and hopefully not get too much in the way. But he is a wonderful, wonderful guy. So pray for him yep. and his wife, Sarah, and their two children. Yeah, pray for them. He, they're, they're welcoming a new uh, child in January. So pray for him and their baby number two on the way yeah. uh, during January. You could pray for them and pray for us as a church as we support them. That'd be a wonderful thing to pray. Pray for us here at London City Mission that we would know how best to serve local churches. Parachurch organizations only exist to serve churches because churches are God's mission centers. And so pray that we'd know how to do that well. I've mentioned Jason O'Shea and the O'Shea family and Operation Forgiveness. I'd love it if we could pray for the impact of early intervention activities like that with the gospel right at the centre in turning the tide in knife crime in our city. There's be a few things to pray. Jason, thanks so much. Here's a challenge for you or an encouragement for you guys um, listening. Uh, why not press pause now if you've been listening along or if you're in the car listening with, with, with someone else? And, and pray for those things. If you need to, to skip back and, and hear what Jason said uh, to remind yourself, it'd be, it'd be great. We, we genuinely believe that prayer works. It's the means by which God um, does his work through the prayers of his people. So pray and join with, uh, with Jason in the ministry that he's doing and join with LCM in the ministry they're doing, um, Operation Forgiveness um, and Bridge Battersea. Pray for those guys and the prayer works. So do that. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a, a pleasure to to hear more of your story, some stuff that I knew already, some new stuff for me. Hopefully lots of people, and I'm sure they were, were really encouraged by hearing from you. Um, yeah, God bless, brother. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, that was a great conversation, Sam. A lot of really helpful takeaways. For me, the thing that stands out most, um, and it's sort of an overarching thing that I've experienced through this being the second season now of this show, is that here's another story of a godly man interested in ministry that God has sought out, obviously, through his life yeah. and placed him in ministry. And you see someone following God's will for that in their life. And you see the widespread branches of that. Yeah, the, the impact that, that God's call on Jason's life then has as, as Jason's faithfully followed Jesus' call on his life into ministry, which is tough, but he's gone and, and, and done it. And not for his glory, but for Jesus' glory. Exactly. And then as that, as that has gone out and the ripple effects that that's had on, on people around him. Mm. Um, I, um, I was really encouraged by um, the London City Mission links that were there right at the start of Commission years and years ago that are still, uh, are still there now. So, you know, there's probably around 10 years between planting Battersea and when we planted Hope Church. Um, but actually the story is very similar. There's Commission and London City Mission and a bunch of other guys um, with a heart for Jesus who want to reach the, the lost. And I think the humility of London City Mission to sort of say, 
we're going to support churches to do this work. There's no kind of pride there mm. of we're going to do this ourselves. We, we've got the answers and we're going to do it. Um, and I think, I think Jason himself as his character kind of is, is a picture of that. But, but London City Mission just, just wanting to give buildings and people and train guys up and just say, look, we want to equip the church to mm. reach the least reached in London. So I, I was really struck by that. I think, I think also for me, Jason's um, a guy who we need to be listening to, particularly around the, the race and ethnicity stuff. Um, so his book, I, I haven't read it all yet, but is, is, is really helpful. But just as, as he was engaging with this, uh, with, with us, we are a network of churches that is still the majority of our churches are the majority, are majority white churches. And though there is, is great kind of ethnic diversity and cultural diversity in the churches as well, it still is majority white. And therefore, being willing to listen to guys who get the different kind of cultures and, and contexts mm. and listening to Jason, both as a black man himself, but also as a guy who's done ministry in an ethnically mis- mixed estate who kind of gets that stuff. Um, just being willing and, and, and wanting to listen to him, to hear from him. Mm. And his reminder that um, these things are not the main thing. The gospel is the main so, so Christ is the main thing. Yeah, but, but still these, very but, important. But the Bible, yeah, it's really important. And the Bible speaks into it. So it, it, they do become gospel issues because the Bible says something about them because they make a difference to, mm. to how we speak of, of what Christ has done and what that means for the church and what the churches should look like. Um, so yeah, Jason's just gold on that. So I really, I really enjoyed I'm hearing from him on that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, the Bible is chock full of conversations and nuances about ethnic diversity, religious yeah. differences, yeah. cultural identities, and how we're all united under the banner of Christ, yeah. regardless where we're from, regardless where we come from, what our cultures are like. You know, we're all united under that banner. Yeah. And, and Jason's, Jason's stuff on having open lines of conversation with each other, with humility to kind of listen mm. to each other. But then the, and the next step is, what does, what does Jesus say about this? What does the Bible say about this? God has something to say about this. Let's yeah. listen to what God says. Listen to each other. Listen to God. I was, mm. yeah, I was encouraged by that. That was a big one for me too as well. I think it's keeping open channels of communication. If you don't, um, you don't hear about something being wrong and people being hurt until it's too late. Yeah. And so keeping that more than just channels of communication open, a culture of openness, a culture of listening, a culture of engagement. People may not engage with that right away, but as they feel comfortable, as they realize that people are listening and people are taking things seriously, then you will get start to get feedback. It's the, it's the long play, but it's mm. the play that, in my thought, generates the most amount of community and the most around of we're all centered under the banner of Christ. Amen. It's the, it's the big difference between we want to hear from you at this particular point because we need to hear from you and we want you to be able to feel and know that you're listened to whenever. Yeah. Um, so that everybody from every culture, background, age, ethnicity, age, class. situation, just like, yeah, just, exactly. just whatever knows that their voice is, is listened to, their voice matters, mm. not just when their particular people group is going to be affected, exactly. but all the time in all situations for the whole culture of the church so that we make much of Christ. Yeah. Exactly. Amen. It takes longer. But the results, the goal is, is, is greater in a sense and the re- results are, are better. I just love listening to church planters and uh, guys like Jason who have been uh, planting churches on council estates. Um, I could listen to him talking about that all day. Um, and I think just, just exciting to hear 
um, him uh, encouraging people to to come move from an area. I don't, I don't think we do enough of that mm. in London. Um, I don't think we do that enough of that in our churches where people go, I'm going to move. I'm not going to move to an area that I like and then think about what church looks like there, but I'm going to move to an area where there's need yeah, yeah. and get involved in church there. And I think that's an exciting um, thing to happen. I think we want to see, I know loads of guys within Commission want to see more of that. Let's go to these places. Mm. Um, let's go to where the need is. And that's, sacrif- that's sacrificial at times for people to, to move. Yeah. But it's also, it's also amazing. So Yeah, me and my wife are really grateful to be involved in the Shaftesbury plant. Uh, on the Doddington estate. So that's something we've been really enjoying. Yeah. The stuff that Jason was saying about the joys of local council estate ministry, the stuff that he's learned from people about who Jesus is, about the gospel, mm. about ministry, about life. Um, it's not just a sacrifice. It's a, it, it can be a sacrifice, but it's also a wonderful joy um, and has enriched him, encouraged him, um, and made him the man that he is um, by God's grace. Mm. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back after Christmas. So with that, let us wish you very merry or happy Christmas, however you say it. Season's greetings? No, we don't, we don't do that. You could do anything you like. We definitely do Christmas. Christ is born, and we are lucky to be a part of his kingdom. Amen. Amen. See you next time. <laughs>